Hello, friends, and welcome to a golf podcast unlike any other. This is Fairway Rollin' on the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your starter, Joe House. Every week on Fairway Rollin', it is myself and our PGA Tour correspondent on the ground, Nathan Hubbard, talking all things professional golf, amateur golf, amateur betting, professional betting, amateur drinking, professional drinking by birdie buddies. If you want to hit them straight out there, please check out Fairway Rolling every week. Available on Spotify. It's the Ringer Gambling Show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like 3-Minute Markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus, and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler. Visit rg-help.com. All right, like chaos in U.S. soccer. <laughs> we, we are back. This is the Ringer Soccer Gambling Show. I am Steve Suri, as always, joined by the great Paul Carr of True Media, who is in Vegas for... Uh, you know, obviously the spectacle that was last night, we didn't think we were going to be recording again. We basically signed off for the summer, at least for the most part. And here we are three days later because we've got some pretty wild news stuff that, you know, if you told me a couple months ago that Greg Berhalter would be returning as the head coach of the U.S. men's national team, I would have told you that was impossible and it could never happen. And Paul, here we are today. So uh, we're going to break it all down. You're in Vegas. You're at the press conference. What do you got for us? I mean, first, just yesterday, that was one of the craziest two hours experience in U.S. soccer. I mean, the game itself was nutty. Uh, maybe not as nutty as the Nations League final a couple years ago, but right there in the discussion, at least. And on top of that, you throw in the Berhalter news. You know, first, the Marsh news, which led to the Berhalter news, uh, right basically as kickoff happened, I think. And it was just a wild couple of hours for everyone working on the game, everyone interested in U.S. soccer, everyone covering U.S. soccer. It was pretty nuts. Yeah, the pregame show, I mean, you know, I think they they did a good job considering what it was, but they were just kind of like, I don't know, like they asked Clint Dempsey and he's just like, I don't know that I love it. And then obviously Charlie Davies has a comment that we'll get to in a little bit. I don't even know is true. Oh, that, that's the problem right now is like even after this press conference and, you know, you were there so you can give us some insight on it. I don't think we really have a lot of answers or at least the answers that we want. But, you know, the reality is that Greg is back. And I think I was, uh, you know, if you told me this like a month ago, a couple months ago, I think I would have been really angry about it. And as the process has kind of gone on, it seems like, you know, we talked to Taylor Twelman, you know, what was that Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday of this week about, you know, what the future <laughs> was. And he sort of dropped a couple of eggs in there, Easter eggs of like, hey, you know, like this is probably not going the way most U.S. fans would like it to go. And I don't know if that was a if, if our expectations were just out of whack, which I think is probably true, or if they really screwed this up and just like couldn't attract a big name coach. I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, I asked I asked Taylor how attractive the job was. Like, I don't I mean, I don't think that like the Peps or the Jose's or, you know, those big names, the Ancelotti's were really going to take that job, even though I think a lot of U.S. fans were like, just go make them say no. 
Um, you know, even Zidane turned us down. Uh, you know, I think Terry Henry had meant, you know, he's a big name, but I don't know. I don't know that I would have, like, he, again, he, he didn't have a lot of success with Monaco. He's an assistant coach for a while. Like, I don't know that that's a, a necessarily a step up. Yeah, sure. I know who the guy is. He's one of the great, greatest players of all time. But does that mean he's going to be a great manager? I don't know. So we're back at square one. You know, I, I, I was initially mad and now I'm kind of in the acceptance. <laughs> so, okay. I, I'm going to get to kind of my biggest takeaway from the press conference in a little bit of a roundabout way. I think what I've kind of come to is there's kind of a fundamental difference in how we, the public, view this job and how U.S. soccer views the job. You know, it's so, the whole thing's sort of like an iceberg where 90% is beneath the surface. You know, we see publicly that 10% that's above the water. We see the results. We see who's playing. We see how the team is playing. And there's this 90% of other stuff related to you know, putting the team together, staying in touch with potential players, building the entire program infrastructure. And I think that 90% is really where Greg won the job uh, because he knows the internal systems, obviously, having coached there, but he come through it as a player. He knows the big picture of U.S. soccer, how they're trying to improve it in this country, improve the men's program as a whole, not just the senior national team. Uh, so I, I think that's, you know, Matt Crocker, the sporting director, referenced kind of that process and things like that several times and how Greg uh, has a passion for everything. He's got the knowledge of soccer in the United States. He's got the right mindset to grow the program and the sport. So I think that's where he got the job. You know, I, We expect it on whatever big name you want. I don't know that other big name coaches, especially from outside the U.S., would be as interested in that other half, 90%, whatever percentage you want to call it, of the job. Uh, whereas someone like Greg clearly was and is and is good at it. So he had those built-in advantages, but I, I think that's kind of where the difference is, which is tough because, like you said, we don't know so much of what's going on, and all that stuff we don't know, I think, is what led to him getting the job. All good points. I think, you know, they certainly came out, and when I say they, like, you know, the U.S. soccer and the men's national team, especially on Twitter, of, like, making sure, because they knew, I mean, they had to know the blowback oh, was yeah. going to be there. Oh, they yeah. knew that the fans were going to be mad, and they came strong. I mean, they came with the numbers. They had a whole graphic of Greg Berhalter by the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. Best overall winning percentage among the history of U.S. men's national team head coaches. The best winning percentage among head coaches in official competitions. The 2021 CONCACAF Nations League and Gold Cup champion. Oversaw the most wins in a calendar year at 17. Got in the second youngest team at the World Cup this past season. Um, they're retweeting accounts saying, you know, they scored 1.97 goals per match. Uh, or, you know, that's just, actually, that's just regular goals per match and only allowed 0.67 goals per match in 60 matches. So they were on, you know, the, the PR campaign was out there to make sure that people knew that like he was. That's the thing people do forget. He did have success. I don't I just think I don't know. I guess I guess we had thought the cycle was over once the World Cup ended. It wasn't disappointing, but certainly after the Geo stuff came out and all the stuff with the Reinas, we just kind of thought like this is going to be it. Um, I, th I don't think people like the way that he sort of managed and set up the team in the World Cup, even though, again, we had some success, not the success maybe that some wanted to. So I think, if anything, it's just more of a disappointment because we just thought it was over, not that he's necessarily back. I think, he, like, I don't think that this drastically changes what the U.S. is capable of doing in 2026. No, okay. I, think so. I think at the end of the day, what's going to dictate that? How good Gio is? What, you know, how, what kind of form and what kind of health? Pulisic. If Pulisic is playing like he was last night, we're going to be fine, folks. He was unbelievable. We'll get to that in a second. Um, if if Florian Balogun is going to be like a legitimate, you know, number nine for us, if we could figure out that, like all that stuff to me is way more important. Not that Greg isn't important or the manager is important, but all that stuff is way more important 
than, you know, who is really at the helm for 2026 in that tournament specifically. So this is, I guess, the reason that I'm sort of coming around. I guess the one thing, Paul, though, the timing was weird on this. Like yeah. it, it drops right before a massive match against your arch rival. <laughs> And a lot of your players don't even know. I mean, they asked Ricardo Pepe after the game. It was a really awkward kind of moment. He basically dodged the question. We know that he's had issues. You know, he's one of the, the couple players that has had issues. But then on the other hand, there are players like Pulisic and Tim Weah who are like, I want Greg to come back. So I think it's certainly, as I mentioned at the top, it's chaotic. It's kind of what the U.S. does. They're just, they don't feel like they have all of their ducks in a row at all the time. But I, I don't know that this dra- drastically changes the floor or the ceiling of what this team is capable of over the next three years. Yeah, I think, I think anyone at U.S. Soccer will tell you the timing was not what they wanted. I think, uh, you know, Jesse Marsh's agent tweeted out that Marsh was no longer a candidate and he was kind of the presumed front runner. And that led Paul Tenorio and other journalists to just go and eventually break the story about Berhalter. So that, I think, clearly was not ideal. Um, and yeah, to Berhalter still being a decent fit. Yeah, let's just run through the on-field results real quick. Gold Cup runner up to Mexico. One Nations League, one gold top in 21, qualified for the World Cup, reached the round of 16. Uh, you know, we could debate how close they were or weren't, how competitive they were or weren't with Netherlands. I tend to fall on the, they were better than, much better than the scoreline indicated. Uh, not just in that game, but I think also in some of the other, the group stage games. I thought they played better than the, uh, like, I put, I'll yeah, push go. back really quick though, yeah, yeah. is that I, and again, I think you're right on that. I do think we get way too, or he gets way too much credit for the England game, though. I thought that was more about. We talked about this on our World Cup pods. I just, I just thought England was completely flat in that game, and we just played. I, you know, and maybe, you know, maybe some of that is tactically, and we do. And I'm just like underselling Greg's importance in that. But I think people are like, oh, look, he, he, you know, he drew the, the the toughest competition that he faced, and you know, obviously the biggest team that we played, and somewhat of a rival. I don't know. I thought that was a little bit overblown. Yeah, yeah, I thought they set up pretty well, kind of that mid block, whatever, to defend. Um, mostly, I think, like. He gets, I think Berhalter gets some undue flack for the Wales game where the second half, you know, U.S. dropped back. He had so many chances on the counterattack that just were not executed. And that's really just, that's not, I don't think that's on him. Although Berhalter did say in the presser today, like they need to better, be better in offensive transition. So maybe he's taking a little bit of the, you know, putting a little bit on his own shoulders for that. Um, but I think, you know, holistically from his, you know, three years with the team, they're undisputably in a better spot than they were three years ago. Uh, I think the big strike against him is kind of what you said, keep a guy for a second cycle. You know, I'm, I've always kind of been a four years and out, you know, bring in new blood sort of thing. I guess if you're going to keep a guy, this is kind of when you do it. You got a lot of young guys uh, who are you know not yet in their prime. This is not, you know, he's not going to be managing for the most part a bunch of, you know, veterans who are kind of hanging on, which is closer to what, uh, you know, say Arena had in 06. Not, not quite the same, but, you know, in that direction a little bit more. Um, so, I mean, there's a case clearly that he doesn't need to stay, but I think ultimately, I mean, in some ways this is an easier decision it, or it makes the process easier, I guess is, is how I would say. You don't have this get to know you phase. You're not blowing everything up. You can almost pick up where you started given that, you know, his system and his co- assistants were largely in control for the past six months. Uh, some ways it's harder though. He's got him in those relationships. Like you said, Pepe, Reina, et cetera. Uh, you don't have that kind of bounce of a new coach. It's not high profile. You know, I don't. I don't think this is making headlines in Europe like it might if they hired Vieira or Henri or, or whatever uh, name you want to throw out there. So now it's going to be interesting to see where they go because Berhalter's not coaching the Gold Cup, which is kind of weird and kind of makes sense. And I, I think it's actually fine. I don't. I don't. You know, I don't have not a big deal to me. I mean, like I said, maybe 
Um, I was going to say, maybe it's different if you're bringing in a new guy because he would want to get a system in sooner. But honestly, that might just make it harder to try to do something in the middle of you know two consecutive tournaments. So yeah, I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, you'd like to have your guy in charge for a competitive tournament when you only have maybe one, maybe two more before the World Cup. Uh, but I don't think it's a really big deal, just given that the system is more or less going to be the same regardless. The only thing I will put, I, I saw, and I, I've heard a lot of people bring that up about the system, but I mean, maybe he was forced in this way because Tyler Adams is hurt, right? And that was why we saw the formation we saw last night, which I think, you know, we talked to Taylor about this, that U.S. fans have been clamoring for, which was the four, two, three, one, where Geo's in the middle and you're only playing two real kind of like, you know, um, holding quote unquote midfielders. Um, and neither of them are really that defensive of midfielders in Musa and, and McKenney. That's kind of, and I think it was easier last night because that Mexico team was terrible. Boy, they're bad. I, I, that's not, I don't know. Like, again, does, does, does Bearhalter play that or does he stick to the 4 3 3? I mean, he's, he was pretty strict about like that. And I, so I, I do think that the two managers that have sort of like been the interim guys have been a little bit different than what Bearhalter, I, I hope he kind of learned from that and saw like, hey, maybe we could open this thing up a little bit more, especially against some worse competition. So you'd hope that, uh, that he's kind of seen that and is maybe going to learn from that. The one thing I, I do want to ask you about is, I guess, well, let's just get into the, the, the relationship thing then. Do you, do you think it's overblown? Like, because again, if your best player in Christian Pulisic is like, bring this guy back, in some ways you're like, well, that's kind of a no-brainer then. Like, if he likes him and they have a good relationship and it wasn't a complete failure in the World Cup, like, maybe it does make sense. But do you think the Gio Reyna, Pepe thing, and then, I mean, Stefan, if he's back in the mix too, do you think that's going to be hard to, because I think, I believe at the press conference today, he said that he hasn't spoken to them and probably won't for at least a little while, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think. So I think it's kind of two separate things. I think the Pepe, the Stefan thing, that's just, I think that's just coaches. And that's just normal. You know, that's the cost of doing business at picking World Cup teams. Not too concerned about that. Um, And I do think Greg's pretty good with the relationships and knows how to manage those and will be able to figure that out. I mean, the Reina thing is just kind of a different animal. That's obviously so much more than just, you know, I put one guy on a bench because Reina feels slighted because he felt like he got the laundry aired out in public. And then obviously, we know what his parents did and such. Again, I, I kind of tend to think Burhalter can figure it out, and I'd like to think Reyna will just mature and figure it out, and that there's so much at stake for both of them, really. You know, World Cup spot uh, is Burhalter's job, just in general, that they can do it. That That's kind of the big question. It's the big unknown. I, I think they can do it. And I think also what helps is that the team is, seems to be in a good spot. Because, you know, we heard Zimmerman said something after the World Cup, like the Reyna stuff's behind him. Like they've moved on as a team. So if that's the case, then I think Reyna would kind of fall in line and, and get through it. And, you know, you got to work it out and all that stuff. But um, but things have obviously changed a little bit. There's more stuff came out and whatnot. So I, I think they can do it, but it'll, it'll take a little time. Yeah, I do. I do believe when those players say that, like, we're kind of over it and we're, we we actually like the culture that we had on the team. To me, that's that's Geo. Like, you got to get in line or or get out. It's like the LeBron, Kevin Love thing, fit in or fit out, right? Like, right. I, I think... Ultimately, yeah, Geo is incredible. And I do think Geo, like, kind of, especially in this form, like, has to be starting in some way. What the, what the formation is, I don't know. I certainly like him in that sort of center attacking midfield role. Um, but then, like, who do you drop? Do you drop Musa? Do you drop McKenney? Do you drop right, Adams? Do you drop Weah? Like, it's not an easy decision. Wow. So, you know, we, we do kind of have more capable starters than we do have starting spots available, which is a good thing. But still, I think at the end of the day, like, I think he's one of the most important players that, I mean, this isn't any rocket science here. I'm not saying anything that's crazy. Like, I just think he's, if, if we're going to have success in 2026, like it's going to be a, a big part because he takes the next step to be that great guy. I mean, the one thing I guess that 
to, to play devil's advocate, because I feel like there's going to be a lot of U.S. fans going to be like, you guys are being too nice. Like, this guy sucks. We all wanted him out. I mean, I guess to play devil's advocate, you could say, you know, all right, how do we, does Greg really deserve credit for this, you know, group of players that have come up through, through, you know, it's not even really that they've come up through U.S. soccer. Like, a lot of them are getting their real training over the pond in Europe, across the pond in Europe for these big club teams now. And how much actual development is U.S. soccer doing versus how much of it is just like there's now way more European teams that are interested in taking on Americans and developing in, the, in their club system. So I, I do think there is some truth to that. And I think, you know, I, I think it was Joe Scally who did say, I think he was asked in an interview a couple of months ago about like what, you know, he would like in the next manager. And he said a simple system, don't treat this like a club team. And that to me is a direct shot at Greg Berhalter for probably probably trying to try to do too much as the manager of a national team. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's hard to kind of, I don't know, prove a negative and like what would have happened without him there. But I, I think you have to give him something just because U.S. soccer was in such a bad place. The team was in such a bad place after missing the World Cup as far as uh, obviously they didn't perform well. But just that generation wasn't there. Like Pulisic was the only one really involved in that 2018 cycle that was so bad. So he kind of was starting from scratch. So, I mean, you have to do something with the talent also. I mean, I'm trying to compare it to like a Belgium, which had all this talent and they got, you know, to the semis of a world cup, which is something. And, you know, they were okay, but you could say they could have, should have done more with more talent than the U S had for sure. Um, So, yeah, I I still think just the fact that he started at such a low point and we, I think we kind of forget that just because of the high of the last couple of years of trophies and world cups and everything. I'm I'm still willing to give him credit for at, at the very least not screwing it up which I think is, you know, sometimes that's all you want a national team coach to do is, you know, put the people in the right place and kind of turn them loose and let them do the thing. I think Greg did more than that. But at the very least, I think you have to give him credit for that. Did anybody ask them a, a couple things before we move on to, to the, we'll talk about the game a little bit and then obviously we'll preview and maybe give some best for the, uh, for the final against Canada. Did anybody ask about one, um, the timing of the timing of this, not only that, but like the timing of the last couple of months of how they hire this firm to look for a coach, Matt Crocker comes in as the sporting director, and then they just end up several months later with the same guy that they had before. Is to, to, from the outside looking in, you can say, "Well, one, did any as you said, just, did anybody really of, of name really want this job, or two, were they even capable of paying what it took to get somebody a big name in to the system? You know, wh- whether it would take, you know, if you're going to get a Jose Mourinho, or I mean, Pep was never realistic, but if you're going to get like a, a, a well-known European manager, it's going to cost you." you know, probably close to $10 million a year, which right. is something that we don't even know if it's in the budget. Did anybody ask that about the timeline or the, the, the money involved at the press conference? So the price someone did and JT Batson, the CEO, said there were no price restrictions. That's okay. exactly what he said. I, I think they probably just didn't even get to the point of, you know, we think making it up. Mourinho's the guy and then they have to go to the board to kind of get approval for the yeah. contract. That tells but me he, exactly that, that that they didn't have anybody that was worthy right. of that kind of money, yeah. So he said no price restrictions. Uh, the timeline, I think that was the very first question and Sidney Parlacone answered that. I mean, in a, in a way they were sort of hamstrung, maybe hamstrung is not the right word, but because of the process they put in place as far as hiring a sporting director and then hiring a head coach, it's just kind of what they had to do because, you know, once you get the sporting director, he's got to have a little time to get his system in place as far as a hiring process. And then you have to go through it. So I'm not, I think she may have said, you know, it wasn't an ideal situation, but they just kind of had to stick to what they wanted to do. Uh, So I think that was just kind of a victim of 
all those things happening at once. I'm sure they would have rather hired somebody in April and had, you know, given that friendly in these couple of games. Um, one other thing Matt Crocker said, I kind of referenced this, but he mentioned this, and this I think is where they probably lost a bunch of candidates along the way. He mentioned the importance of having someone who appreciates the U.S. structure, how that helps. He mentioned that, you know, there's a legacy aspect to the program on the whole, and they wanted the coach to be engaged in that process, which to me sounds like, you know, there were guys who just wanted to come in and coach the team, and that was it. And that's not what U.S. soccer was looking for. So, you know, you can argue whether that's what U.S. soccer should or shouldn't be looking for. But given those criteria, I think that was a lot of what pointed back to Greg, too. All right. So next couple of years, I mean, obviously, you got the Copa America next summer, um, you know, obviously the World Cup three years yeah there'll be a gold cup gold cup in 15 i suspect they're going to do some kind of confed cup like thing in or, or uh 2025 not 2015 i suspect they'll do a confed cup ish thing or at least you know a men's version of the she believes cup where they bring some big names in because all those teams are going to want to come over here and play too to get ready for the world cup so i, I suspect those those are your kind of your marker points over the next couple of years so do you think that this gets <laughs> is it one of those things where it gets worse like the the because again the the fan base you can see it on twitter you know they're they're passionate to say the least and they're very you know they 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 know, they know what they want and it, it didn't seem like they want a bear holder do you think it gets better i mean obviously wins and losses just that's what matters right if they do well in the copa then people are going to probably be more on board but do you feel like it it, it becomes like a more thing where that we accept greg over the next couple of years or do you think it's going to be more of a divisive thing over the next couple I'm of years to think uh, about that like what could he do? What could the team do to, to win people over? Right. I mean, win Copa America, sure. Uh, but I mean, you know, beyond that, get to the semi. I mean, they got to the semis in sixteen. Get to the semis and beat somebody significant along the way, maybe. Uh, you know, they're gonna have a lot of high profile friendlies. Perform well, win some of those, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if people aren't on board, I'm not sure what really could happen other than just take this giant leap, but I, I don't think it's really about giant leaps. It's more about, you know, slow improvement and, you know, almost like raising the floor sort of thing in addition to ideally getting that ceiling a little bit higher. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, other than just a lot more of these 3 no win types against Mexico and some of the other teams, I'm not sure there's something that'll satisfy everybody uh, beyond just the obvious of we're playing great, everyone looks good, we're dominating, which I don't think is super realistic past the, uh, you know, CONCACAF minnows and such. That's what's funny, too, is like last night's like, oh, you know, we win 3 nothing against Mexico. And it's like, BJ Callahan should just take over. He should be the manager. <laughs> like, it's one game against a bad Mexico. Can we, right. just, can we just, can everybody just calm down? Also, like, he's probably doing a lot of the things that Greg wanted to do, as right. we talked about before. Right. All right, let's get into the game then. Because it was, I mean, that was Ooh. one of the most intense and memorable, yeah. uh, you know, infamous maybe games in the history of the USA-Mexico rivalry. 3 nothing to the U.S., you know, Again, I, I'm watching that team. Uh, you see it on paper, and you see it in the game. I mean, the U.S. dominated that game, absolutely dominated. Yeah. That's the kind of style that I think you know we we never really got under Berhalter. Right? Even like, much. I think I think sometimes like the, the criticism of him was that we didn't take it to the minnows enough. And like Mexico right now is kind of a minnow if you, if you look at <laughs> it. I mean, the the it's not even really a rivalry anymore. I mean, it's it, how many times could you just like you know put a team in its place before it's like, hey, like you're clearly just you know, an inferior side. And that's what Mexico is right now. So we think that we have all these problems as the U.S. team. We are nowhere near the disaster that this Mexico national team is, Paul. Oh, Mexico is. I mean, they're a mess because this is a new coach they just brought in who's terrible. Uh, or We're talking about terrible. firing him last night. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. They get rid of him before the Gold Cup, maybe. Did they just kind of let him, you know, burn for another month? Uh, 
but yeah, the, the talent's just not there. Like, who scares you on this Mexico team? Like, maybe Jimenez, but he hasn't done for Mexico what he's done in Europe. Um, you know, they didn't Ochoa. have... <laughs> like, he's the only one that's like, that's a, you know, legit... Like, he's the only one, if you're the U.S., you're like, yeah, we wish we had that guy. But even... Yeah, yeah, he did a great job in Italy. She mm-hmm. kind of like really helped keep Sal Tana up. Yeah. yeah, and but but other than that, like if your goalkeeper is your best player, that's usually not a great sign. Not great. So they didn't have the pace. Mexico didn't like at either end. You know, you saw Balogun and company run by a lot. You know, that's what drew the red card that really kicked off the shenanigans. Uh, although he's going the other way, um, the Mexico, you know, the back line couldn't keep up. You saw that. Or sorry, the attackers from Mexico couldn't find any space in the u.s defense like i think the defense deserves a lot of credit for the u.s even like dest had some good defensive plays you know staring up a guy on the on the edge and things like that so yeah it was a very unimpressive mexico team i kind of thought that on paper and then seeing it in action was it was almost a little jolting just that this is not like canada will probably be a tougher game than mexico will they may not be like better top to bottom they may be but they're definitely a better team right now than mexico is the Canada game is really interesting with that in a bit, too, because, you know, they kind of ran through qualifying, but then had sort of a disappointing World Cup. But it was because, you know, they had a tougher group. I mean, the U.S., if we're being honest, had the easiest group of Mexico, uh, Canada and the U.S. Like, it's it's fine. I mean, we did get out of it, so that's great. But at the end of the day, like, I don't know that, like, I think Canada sucks now because they didn't get out of their difficult group with, what was it, Belgium, Croatia and uh, Morocco? And, uh, Mo- yeah, Morocco, who is fantastic. So. You know, it, it, it is kind of weird, but I will say, like, f- from Mexico's side, you know, they just, not only did they suck, but they also kind of dragged the U.S. down with them, you know, with some of the bullshit that they, I mean, the amount of, like, just just petty stuff. And I guess, like, this is, you know, they could partially say that they kind of may have screwed over the U.S. in this final because, you know, we're not going to have, we're already down Tower Adams in the midfield. Now we're going to be without Weston McKinney, who gets a red card, without Sergino Dest, who gets a red card. I mean, those guys, like, you know, while I understand why they did what they did, like they were clearly provoked and you kind of sometimes have to have a cooler head than that. But, you know, as you're getting pelted with water bottles and beer cans from the Mexico fans who it was just an embarrassing display from them last night. The only, I, I would rank the, in, in order of like who was the most <laughs> embarrassed last night. Right. If it, third is Mexico, the players. Okay. Second might be the referees. And first is the Mexico fans for, you know, cool. obviously the chant, which has been you know, reported Gosh. on a lot and the game ends up, you know, getting called early because they just don't stop. It was, it was an embarrassing showing really all, all around last night. But from our perspective, now we're down to maybe of our most important players. It looks like, you know, who, who steps in the midfield for the Canada game, who steps in at right back, probably goes to uh, probably Scally. Yeah. But man, I, it, they really just dragged us into the mud with them and we, and we followed them down there. I did. I mean, it's, it's easy to say from, you know, a 400 level press box that I was in that you got to be smarter than that and don't get sucked into it. It's a lot harder. You're on there. I get it. Um, but yeah, you'd like to think that you'd know, be a little bit cooler and not pick up the red cards at least. But uh, yeah, it puts the us in a weird spot because that, that is a pretty good midfield to have, especially, you know, they're going to dominate possession for the most part against Canada also. And now you got to mix it up a little. Uh, I guess Delatore comes in for McKinney. Yeah. Um, and sense. that's what he did. That's essentially what they did after the, the red card. Um, and yeah, Scali is pretty much the only natural ish right back on the roster. So I think he'll get plugged in, which. Uh, not, I don't think he's probably a little better defensively and not as good say, going forward. So you could you could argue probably that in this specific matchup, it actually isn't that bad because Dest is not really a defender at all. Right. So yeah. you know maybe Scali plays a little bit more attention to uh, you know one of the the best player in Concacaf and Alfonso Davies, who he's going to be kind of matched up again for most of the matched up against for most of the game. Yeah, I think I mean Canada 
I'm surprised. Let's just get into the game then, because this is this is sort of the betting odds here. I was I was pretty surprised. They asked you beforehand, like if you're surprised about how big of a favorite the U.S. is. They are uh, what are they? Plus 105. The draw is plus 210, and Canada plus 240. I mean, Canada the last year plus has been the better team. They have the best player. I know it's in the U.S. in 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 Vegas, but I don't know that it's like that big of. I mean, you could tell me it was how big of a home field advantage it was. Although against Mexico, you never really know. But I'm just kind of surprised that the number is that big for Canada, Paul. Yeah, I guess it gets skewed a little bit, I think, by being, you know, it's a final. So extra time is obviously a possibility. And these are 90 minute prices. I mean, I think the US is always going to get a little bit of a bump just because they're, you know, essentially a public team that is obviously going to get more of the money. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, Canada, they obviously beat the US in qualifying in Toronto. I was at that game and I mean, it was a deserved pretty much 2 0 win. US wasn't really, well, I'll take it back. Canada deserved a win. 2 0 might have been a little harsh on the US, but. Canada did what Canada is going to do tomorrow. They defended well. They struck on the counter quickly, so, and they were executed that. The U.S. didn't finish a couple of decent chances. So, and that's what Canada is going to do. I guess that contributes a little bit to you know the price here because they, yeah, the U.S. is going to have the ball. They're going to control the game. Uh, they they looked good yesterday, obviously. So I guess I guess all that kind of adds up to you know just a little better than even money on a U.S. win, which it does feel a little bit short you feel like you just ought to get something better for teams that are a little bit more even um, so I, I don't know that i'm interested in playing the u.s at least on its own might have to conjure up some sort of saruti special uh, to try and find a, a number i like here well that's what's funny too is like so they're expecting obviously the u.s are favored and they're not expecting a ton of goals i mean the under two and a half is minus 174 the over is plus 136 it actually has come down. It was higher than that. So maybe it's based on what they've taken in and what action they've taken in, it's kind of affected that. But I'm not super confident betting the U.S. to win the game plus 105, especially down the people that we just talked about. And like if you're drafting, you know, teams, Paul, like if you're just going, hey, everyone on the U.S. and Canada is available, Canada probably has the first two picks. I, I, they definitely have yeah, the first you're pick. You're going to take Davies and David one, two. I think I would take Davies one. I think I don't, I don't think that's even. I mean, Pulisic looked you know, great. Assuming he's, he's healthy, you know, he yeah. played the half hour or so in the you know, yesterday's game but uh yeah i mean can yeah canada's and they're only attack which it's interesting that canada's largely a defensive team but their four best players are attackers maybe and davies and david and kyle laren and tejan buchanan uh, that, so i don't know that their defense is quite as sturdy as it was even a year or two ago just had some changes some new faces and things like that uh, so i do think i mean is it very obvious, like under type of game. Like the last three they've played, all had two or fewer goals. Not a lot of good chances. The you know, the underlying numbers pretty much lined up with that. Uh, so it does feel like it's just going to be this classic final. That's just cagey for a long time. Someone's going to sneak a goal. Uh, it's hard to see it really opening up. I mean, I guess it could. You know, obviously one goal changes everything, et cetera, et cetera. But it just feels like Canada's going to do what Canada does, and it's going to kind of be on the U.S. to kind of find those cracks. Like they you know, didn't do so much. They really didn't do all that much in either game against Canada in qualifying. I got to tell you, Paul, I don't have a strong lean on really anything in this game. <laughs> I, I really don't. I, I I think you could make a case, though, for the over two and a half if you're like sitting there going, yeah, I can get plus money. It's a good price, yeah. I mean, you know, as we said, stylistically, the U.S. is going to have the ball. You know, they they scored three goals against Mexico. Yeah, we talked about how bad they were, but still, like they're they're feeling it on the offense right now. But they're susceptible on the counter, and if they're going to have the ball, that's the way that, that Canada wants to play. So. You know, could I see the U.S. grabbing a goal here and the Canada grabbing a goal on the counter and then somebody else grabs one more and you get your over two and a half? Maybe. And that's plus money. Um, 
you know, the the double chance for Canada right now is minus 145. So that's a win or draw. You pair that with like under, I don't know, four and a half, three and a half. You could probably get pretty close to even money on that as well. So I, I don't really have a terribly strong lean. I mean, we could look at the goal score market too here. Uh, and I'll bring it up right now as we're speaking. I mean, Balogun is number one at plus 165. But there are a couple interesting names in here. I mean, David is plus 220. Uh, our guy Pulisic is plus 340. Gio Reyna plus 490. Um, you know, you keep going down the list, you know, you got Alfonso Davies, depending on how much he plays, plus 650. Maybe that's kind of the interesting one. I mean, it, as you said, if, if we don't think there's going to be a lot of goals, maybe that's not the best way to go. But if you pick one of those guys, those are pretty decent numbers. Yeah. David, that plus 220, I kind of like. Um, I think he's most likely to score for Canada. He's probably taking penalties. You know, we saw Davies miss one at uh, in the World Cup, but David converted like 11 out of 12 for Lille this year. So, I mean, he's a penalty machine. Uh, so that's that's not bad because I feel like he's the most likely guy to score in the Laren's odds are a little bit shorter uh, of those. Plus, again, he would probably take the penalties for the U.S. So that's always a nice little nudge in favor of trying to figure these out. There's some funny lines. Taylor Booth is plus 470. He's more likely to score than Gio Reyna. What's going on? It's very strange. Do, uh, let me ask you this. Do you start? We didn't even talk about Balogun, really. You know, I don't think... His first game for that to be your first game, by the way, like welcome to CONCACAF, <laughs> like just absolute yeah. chaos. I mean, can, I, you know, he's he plays in Europe and we, you know, he plays played for a lot of big teams and or against a lot of big teams. I should say he plays for Arsenal. I doubt he's ever had an experience like that in his life. So, welcome, welcome to uh, the USA Mexico rivalry for Alan Balogun. The question is, do you start him again or do you start Pepe, who scored, by the way? And again, we didn't even talk about this, but again, this is another like anti Greg thing. It's like that guy had to be at the World Cup. I, I don't, it doesn't, we, we keep having evidence here and there that like all the other guys that you brought didn't bring anything to the table. And this is a guy, yeah, was he in the best form? No, but man, like he's still a really talented guy. Uh, do you start Pepe or do you go, or you stick with the original lineup from last night minus the two guys that have red cards? I'm probably sticking with Balogun here. Uh, you know, Pepe's also proven he scored a couple games in a row or two of his last three off the bench for the U.S., so he's kind of proven he can fall into that spot uh, pretty comfortably. So I'd probably throw Balogun back out there uh, just because I, I think he gives you something that Pepe doesn't just with his pace and able to do some different things in the attack. So I think i keep him there because you're going to need someone to try to spread that defense out that I think he could probably do a little bit better. Um, yeah, and then um, the selection... I. It is fair to criticize Bernhardt over some of a few of the selections for the World Cup. I mean, Pepe was in such bad form until a few weeks before that, you know, I kind of see either way. Um, so yeah, I don't want to pretend like I'm defending every single thing Greg did. <laughs> yeah, you're, you got, because, you're on Greg's PR staff right now. You're yeah, Greg's main PR yeah, guy. Gonna nice, get mad at you. Good, nice tip out of that. But there's de- definitely fair to criticize. You know, should Pepe have gone to Haji right? Should you know different center back, something like that? Starting Ferreira was not obviously didn't work out very well at all. So, I mean, there's definitely room to quibble with different things. I don't know if that's different than any other coach. You know, this is what, you know, fans do and the price that coaches pay to get the money they're making is just to be the subject of criticism and things like that. So, but uh, yeah, but to the original question, I, I would start Balogun and keep Pepe in your back pocket to come up. You got to bring him in at the 60th minute if Balogun's just unaffected or ineffective or run out of gas or whatever. I think that's a pretty good option to have. I agree. I think, you know, if Pepe's going to be that guy, spark off the bench, like don't fix what's what's broken right now, like that he clearly looks comfortable in that role. And honestly, I think this is one of those things where we talked about this a little bit, but Balogun just being a U.S. you know national team guy now, if anything, it just motivates Pepe, right? And like it, it, it's probably better Good. for him in the long term and better for us in the long term because he has like real competition, not even competition, like a real 
you know, guy who's going to take his spot and is taking his spot right now. So if this means Pepe's like, you know, laser focus and just becomes better, then this is better for That's everybody. Great. Yeah, I think it. I... I think I start, yeah, I think I basically play the same formation. I just flop in Delatore for McKenney, uh, and I, and obviously Scally for Des, and I feel pretty good about that. I don't know that I'm tinkering anywhere else. I, I still, I, Tim Weah, to me, is the most underrated player on the team. I love him whenever he starts. Uh, I think he adds a dimension that, you know, we don't really have uh, up front. And, you know, you know, Pulisic, if he's going to play like that, then yeah, maybe maybe the U.S. is the bet here, but we haven't seen that for a while. Um, although he had one like an all-time miss after what was an almost an inc- one of the best <laughs> dribbling yeah. sequences we've ever seen. Yeah. Luckily, he gets the goal later on, but uh, he did look very good and look very impressive. So I, I wouldn't change things formationally. I would just plug those two new guys in and just go from there. Yep, and I'm pleased. With, I was pleased with the back line. I mean, Robinson and Richards. I don't remember much that they did, and I mean that in the best way. Like part of it's they weren't challenged super many times just because Mexico wasn't very good, but you know, they did everything they had to do. They won a couple of key duels, things like that. So assuming they're, you know, healthy and, and good to play another 90, I definitely stick with them. And if not, you know, you guys everyone you can plug in without much of a difference. So feel pretty good about where the back line's at right now. All right. Well, Paul, we said we uh, we said we were taking a break and here we are. We're back. I don't know when we are going to be back next. We talked about, you know, we, we were going to be back when they hired a coach. They did. We'll, <laughs> I guess, keep an eye out. What's the next thing? I guess it's just like, what Pulisic's transfer situation is. Gold yeah, where's Cup everyone going to go unless the Gold Cup gets weird? Yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll be back during the Gold Cup and, you know, U.S. makes a run. We'll, we'll do the semifinal or something, which, I mean, they I'll give you my pick here. Here's my pick. Um, I go U.S. double chance. I go under two and a half goals and I get to minus 106. So I'll, I'll give you a Saruti special. It's just hard for me to see there being three goals in regulation in this one. Yeah. Uh, just feel it's going to, again, this is what Canada does. They, they want to make it ugly. I mean, you even saw in the semifinal, you know, they weren't like coming out guns blazing against Panama. It was kind of a cautious thing. And eventually they kind of got together and got a couple of goals by doing what they do. So uh, I, I see it being tight and, you know, 1-0, 1-1, 2-0 U.S., whatever, you know, those will all get you there for the double chance. So that and under two and a half gets you to minus one to six. I mean, listen, Paul, I'm not going to come on the pod and sit here and tell you to take Canada. Come on. <laughs> we're, we're better than that. <laughs> uh, even Smart though I am man. a little bit scared. I'm not super confident. But yeah, I'm not going to take Canada on the money line here. Come on, guys. I'll go down with the ship. It's fine. But I do like that's not a bad bet. I, I don't hate that at all. Because yeah, you're right. It's probably more likely to be somewhat low scoring. So um, that'll be fun. All right. Well, Paul, you know, I guess we're back uh, temporarily. I don't know when we'll be back next, but it's been real. <laughs> and, you know, I think... Hopefully, you know, the Gold Cup, we, the, the roster's out. So, you know, we, our expectations, we've already talked about that. So go back and listen to those pods if you, have, if you haven't already. But, you know, it should be fun. Enjoy the weekend. We have a final on Sunday and on Father's Day, too. So everybody enjoy their Father's Day. And, you know, hopefully we'll be back whenever uh, the U.S. is lifting another cup. <laughs>